from Mother Skinnerin celebrating the voices of young women 13 through 30 who are using their genius to move beyond pretty and create a softer world. So today I have the extraordinary honor of interviewing my mentor, Dr. Rian Eisler, the famous author of The Chalice and the Blade who is considered by many to be one of the most original and important public intellectuals of our time. And I'm so excited to be speaking with you today, Rianne, because I want to introduce a new generation to your work, to the Chalice and the Blade in particular, because it's had such a profound impact on me and on so many others across the world. So thank you so much for being here with me. Well, I'm delighted to be with you, Bri, as always. <laughs> so the Chalice and the Blade is in, has undergone 56 U.S. printings and is in 26 foreign languages. Right. Which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I want to talk to you today about your excitement about young people coming together to change the system. So much of your work has been about this. We hear so much about a new system, and the system you propose is not only new, but has ancient roots. I think that uh, my work is very relevant to this fantastic new generation. And I am so excited to see young people uh, organizing and speaking up today and both the Never Again campaign, you know, the March for Our Lives, the Me Too movement, they're really dealing with some very fundamental issues, perhaps even more fundamental than, than many of the young people who are engaged in these movements uh, realize, because we're talking in both cases about what kind of a system uh, do we have uh, that, from my perspective, from the perspective of my work, as you know, Brie, uh, these are symptoms. I mean, the sexual assault, the gun violence, climate change, being at the brink of nuclear war. They're all symptoms of a fundamentally imbalanced system that we can't fix by just sort of pasting on something new to it. Mm -hmm. And these two issues go to the very heart of what I call the domination system rather than the partnership system. So how do we recognize the, the differences between a domination system and a partnership system? Well, I just want to invite young people to, for a moment, at least during this conversation that we're having, to leave behind their, the ways that they've been taught to think of societies, you know, as rightist or leftist or liberal, conservative or eastern or western or northern and southern or religious or secular. Uh, a colleague of mine has called these old categories weapons of mass distraction mm. because none of them really look at the whole system and there have been horribly violent and repressive and oppressive societies in every one of these categories, so they really don't offer the alternative that we we'll, must have. But even beyond that, none of them pay attention to the most foundational relations uh, on which, out of which politics, economics, religion, education 
really uh, stem, which are the relations without which none of us would be here, namely the relations between the female and male half of humanity and between them and their daughters and sons. And the partnership model and the domination model take into account how really what people are taught, for example, about being a girl or a boy uh, is basic to either a partnership system or a domination system. So one of the things that I have found most moving about your work was, you know, that you went back and you researched 10 and 30,000 years ago, and you talk about these goddess-worshipping cultures wherein women's bodies are seen as a source of life and light and regeneration and illumination, and and how the, the valuing of women went along with a more partnership-oriented society. So what are the tenets that we see in a partnership model? Well, first of all, let me address what you just said, because uh, my research not only looks at uh, social systems by taking into account information about both halves of humanity, rather than, you know, the usual way history or sociology or anthropology or whatever is taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also goes way back into our prehistory. And uh, I was just absolutely fascinated, as you were, uh, to discover that so much of what people today consider new and radical has very, very ancient roots, mm-hmm. uh, like the women's movement, like the feminist movement, like the men's movement, mm-hmm. because we're not talking about uh, really uh, matriarchy or patriarchy here, which are two sides of a domination coin. Yes. We're talking about earlier societies that uh, my friend and colleague Douglas Fry calls the original partnership societies because that's what foraging societies were like for about millions of years during our proto-history and in The Chalice and the Blade I show how these were the kinds of societies that we had for thousands of years in our prehistory and it's very exciting. Yes. And what were the values? Well, the values are really uh, so very different from the values that we've been taught uh, are the most important ones. Uh, Neutrality rather than control. Um, Mutual respect, mutual accountability, and caring, caring. Uh, so the title, the chalice and the blade, they're really two symbols of power, aren't they? Yes. I mean, the blade is power in a domination system, the power to dominate, to destroy, to take life. Chalice is very powerful, but it's a very different power. It's the power to give life, to nurture life, and to illuminate life. And both men and women have that power. We mm-hmm. wouldn't be here if we don't, and and in these foraging societies and in these prehistoric societies, the the evidence is that even in contemporary foraging societies, for example, uh, men do a lot of the child care, Mm -hmm. just as young men are starting to do today. And that's why I say it's really deeply rooted. Yes, it's new. We don't want to go back to any, quote, good old days, uh, 
but we want to, at our level of technological development, use technology in a pro-life, pro-human, really pro-life, mm -hmm. life right here on this earth, not before we're born and after we die. Right. But right here, and we can. And that's the beauty of this research. It shows that we, we humans really uh, get more rewards neurochemical rewards of pleasure. We know this now from neuroscience. When we give, when we share, then when we win and control. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just simple as that. Yeah. Unity and love. Yeah, so this isn't uh, feel-good stuff. This, is, this isn't, you know, never-never stuff. This is real. Right. It's the neurological response to empathy, yeah, and, 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 and boys and girls have it, and this is why I just did a podcast uh, on raising caring boys Yes, with um, some of the men who are working with boys and men, because it's not just girls who are put into this trap. Yeah, uh, It's boys. Mm -hmm. By having to deny part of their humanity, their sensitivity, their caring, their so-called soft part. Mm -hmm. uh, and girls, of course, you know, have to deny their assertiveness. You know, when boys are assertive, that's terrific. When girls are assertive, they're ball breakers, you know, they're bitches. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So what we're talking about is a society where both boys and girls can really realize their full potentials. Mm -hmm. And we can. Yes. <laughs> So if you were talking to some of the, the leaders of the March for Our Lives, like Emma Gonzalez, who just was so uh, inspiring in the way she stood up at that march and for six minutes, you know, just held that silence, just letting, letting the pain and the presence of her experience just shine through her. What would your message be to these young leaders who are rising up right now about the way forward? I think that my main message would be leave the old thinking behind. Uh, because of what I said, that all the old categories, none of them offer mm -hmm. what we want. Like left versus right and... Religious, religious or secular, mm -hmm. Eastern or Western. I mean, look at Kim Ong in North Korea. Uh, look at Hitler in Germany, you know, Eastern, Western, uh, rightist, leftist. Yes. I mean, th th they're both misery. Mm -hmm. uh, and look at what's happening in our country today. Yeah. Uh, and really understand that part of what the language offers us today keeps us trapped mm -hmm. so we need new language mm -hmm. and we need new categories in particular because the categories channel our thinking so what how, how do we learn to speak this new language and what are these new categories well partnership and domination systems mm -hmm. look if you really look at modern history you see something looking through the lens of the partnership domination social scale, because mm -hmm. it's a matter of degree, yes. always, you see that every single progressive social movement has challenged traditions of domination. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it was the, eight, you know, the, the, in the 18th century, the so-called rights of man movement, 
uh, or the 19th century so-called rights of women, mm-hmm. feminist movement, yeah. or the civil rights and abolitionist movement before then, they challenged control by one kind of person over another kind of person. And this is what we really have to understand, that uh, we have to be taught history differently, Mm -hmm. but it's up to this new generation Mm -hmm. to really understand the history first. And so I would suggest, for example, listening to my audio abridgment of The Chalice and the Blade for young people. Wonderful. Um, you know, that's something that you can get on the internet. Mm-hmm. I would suggest going to the uh, to my website, rianeisler.com or to centerforpartnership.org mm-hmm. and just dip in yeah. and find out because we don't just want to deconstruct. We don't just want to be against We have to have clear goals. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to really go back to what I talked about, how we, how children are raised Mm -hmm. and uh, how we define the roles and relations of female and male as, quote, masculine and, quote, feminine, which are socially constructed, is fundamental. Mm -hmm. And, for example, look, I mean... We know that so many of these mass killings are really, they're by men. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the men's studies now, we are learning about a concept called hypermasculinity. And these guys take it to the end, which is, uh, yes, I mean, they're mentally ill, mm-hmm. but it's a very peculiar and particular type of mental illness, uh, which is related back to male socialization, that you're not supposed to feel pain, you're not supposed to feel fear. You have to translate that into a hard emotion, anger, rage. Mm -hmm. And they take that to the nth degree. And that kind of socialization is fundamental to domination systems because the really a domination of one half of humanity over the other half Mm -hmm. is a model for equating difference with superiority or inferiority, with dominating or being dominated, Mm -hmm. with being served, be it in food, be it in sex, being it anything, Mm -hmm. and serving. And we've got to break out of that because this is fundamental. So it's related to the Me Too movement, it's related to the Never Again movement, Mm -hmm. but uh, I mean, these are entry points. What do you see specifically as being the next steps for the Me Too movement? Well, the next step for the Me Too movement actually is, is happening, which is to engage men, to really re-examine uh, they, the, the falseness of how they are taught to think of their very identity, their, quote, masculinity where they're basically being denied half of their humanity, you know, their so-called soft, caring part, mm-hmm. which everybody has. It's not feminine, it's human. Yeah. Uh, and it's also uh, helping men to get out of this very scary pattern of thinking that, and we see it in our president, you know, that, uh, I mean, 
here is somebody who has been bullied, who's become a bully, mm -hmm. and a bully in particular to women. I mean, he sees women as simply sex objects. Yeah. And so what kind of a person does that? We have to really look at the whole person. Mm -hmm. And it's somebody who's very insecure mm -hmm. and basically frightened, but who has learned, been taught to translate pain and fear into aggression, rage. into rage. Mm -hmm. And there are unfortunately a lot of people uh, who, who do that. Mm -hmm. But the good news is that so many young people are rejecting this. Mm, they really are. Yeah. So that's the next step of the Me Too movement, I think, is to have it be a joint enterprise by both women and men, by both girls and boys, to understand that this is not isolated, mm -hmm. that this is inherent in domination systems, that one of I mean, these, the family and the state is top-down, is oppressive, is repressive, that it isn't just the state. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, if you examine, and the second is gender, uh, that people who are brought up in domination systems are simply taught these gender stereotypes, you know? Mm -hmm. Men must control well, strong men rule in the family translates into strong men rule in the tribe or state, doesn't it? Yeah. And to equate real masculinity with violence, which, I mean, look at our so-called action entertainment. It's yeah. pathological. It is. So there you have the domination configuration. Mm -hmm. And we have to change that to a family where parenting is authoritative, because kids do need limits, mm -hmm. rather than authoritarian and yes. nonviolent. Mm -hmm. We have to change the gender stereotypes and the gender relations in domination systems because they're linchpins of the system. Yeah. And we have to understand that violence is not masculine, it is inhuman. Mm -hmm. You know, violence is taught. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... And it's not we, our nature. It really isn't our nature, and it isn't the nature of men to be violent. No. I mean, I remember years ago, I was in a park with one of my children, and I heard uh, this child wailing. And then I heard a man's voice saying, boys, don't cry, and I'm going to hit you again mm. unless you stop crying. Mm. Well, I mean... What kind of a dehumanizing? Yeah, shutting it down. Shutting it down. Mm -hmm. and, and, and really, a part of this is also uh, many, uh, I mean, it, again, it, it, in this hyper-masculinity, boys and men very often have a very hard time really feeling things. So they have to have push it further and further, the risk-taking, mm -hmm. the just so they can feel something. Yeah. Because the real feelings are... Have been desensitized. Have been desensitized and buried. And buried. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've got a lot of work to do, and that's why I'm so excited about especially these two movements. Mm -hmm. uh, the movement against violence, mm -hmm. which is really... I mean, yeah, guns kill people. Yeah, I mean, it's absurd to have, you know, when the when that amendment was 
past, we had muskets with one little <laughs> bullet. Right. We didn't have weapons. Semi-automatic. Semi-automatic. AR-15s. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. And that amendment has to be correctly interpreted. Yeah. Yeah. So I also want to take some time while I have you here to to talk about objectification and sexualization since, you know, those are two of the big yeah. pieces that I cover and love the skin you're in. And they are definitely places where young women's consciousness is really falling. You wrote this incredible book called Sacred Pleasure. It just talked about a lot of really beautiful things when it comes to the need to see pleasure as a beautiful and sacred thing versus seeing women's bodies as, as objects that can stand to be dehumanized. Well, I actually in that book proposed something that takes many people uh, by surprise, which is an ethic for sexual relations. Mm. You know, we don't think about it that way, do we? I mean, that stupid saying, all's fair in love and war. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> You know, the war of the sexes and war are symptoms of domination, socialization of, of domination systems. And women buy into this and girls buy into it. Mm -hmm. And today, of course, because it's nothing new that, that, that women's bodies are, you know, sex objects. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of the caliphs and their harems and mm -hmm. uh, emperors with their concubines, you know, Chinese, uh, you know, Middle Eastern. I mean, it goes way back. And everywhere. In, mm -hmm. And everywhere in the domination system. What's changed is the incredible marketing that now goes into trying to convince people, first of all, to get stuck, to really be stuck in these gender roles that mm -hmm. are appropriate only for domination systems. Mm -hmm. So girls are supposed to serve as boys, mm -hmm. and girls themselves are it's drilled into girls that their identity, what counts, is as sex objects. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so interesting because in Sacred Pleasure, I, I write about uh, something rather obvious, which is that girls are supposed to please rather than to have pleasure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's crazy. But I don't think boys have that much pleasure either, you know, from this kind of scoring mm. rather than caring. Mm -hmm. Because both are robbed of what we all yearn for, which is care and connection. Right, and they're being taught that it's a performance and they, they lose the narrative and the mutuality mm -hmm. and the consensuality and all of the things that can make it really beautiful and romantic and intimate. And uh, pleasurable. Yes. So, uh, you know, this having to conform. Um, I, I have a chapter in Sacred Pleasure about getting out of Prince Charming's slipper. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's no joke, right. because that's really what uh, all of these propaganda marketing techniques are being used to, uh, really to sell a certain image to sell certain products, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, this is how you're supposed to look. This is how you're supposed to dress. And then, of course, there's the whole porno industry. Well, which really concerns me because mainstream porn sites are getting more hits monthly than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And I'm, I've 
in countries like the United States, in many cases, it's replacing sex education because if they're not getting sex ed in schools and their parents aren't talking to them about it, they can just go on the internet and click a few buttons and, you know, most of what they see originally is violent and um, I, I think that that's a, it's a frightening blueprint to be lying down around intimacy. Well, it is misleading, it is anti-pleasure, mm -hmm. and it is anti-human. Mm -hmm. I think that one thing when you ask me about next steps, there's some very practical things. I think it would be very important for young people to start insisting not only in having sex education, mm -hmm. but to have relational education. Mm. Really, how do you relate in partnership? Mm. And how do you learn to care, caring for life, caring for self, caring for others, caring for nature? That should be part of the curriculum. Yeah. And so this is something uh, I really hope will be sort of next steps mm -hmm. because we need to have that taught and we're in a massive educational regression right now mm -hmm. and I don't only mean uh, you know the, the, the whole privatization which is insane I mean achieving public education was one of the great milestones for anything even resembling a democracy mm -hmm. and now we want to go take that away I mean come on uh, that's domination. Yes. Writ large, again. You know, it's funny because when The Chalice and the Blade first came out, I, I, I've had a lot of mail from both girls and boys and men and women. Uh -huh. But I always remember this one letter. It was from a young woman, and she wrote, um, I go to a very progressive high school, and we're always protesting <laughs> against, against this and against that. And when I read The Chalice and the Blade, I realized we're protesting against one thing, the nomination system. Yeah. That's my message. Become acquainted with this system. Mm -hmm. Look at the core components because they're not being talked about. Yeah. You know, when you devalue the feminine, you devalue caring, caregiving, nonviolence. It is intertwined in the system. Become aware, not only connecting the dots, but the dots that are left out, and they're not just dots, they're huge yeah. parts of the system. Child mm -hmm. rearing, gender socialization, Factor that in, understand the interaction mm -hmm. between how education, religion, politics, and yes, economics, because I wrote a book, as you know. The Real Wealth of Nations. The Real Wealth of Nations, that's right, about creating a caring economics. Yeah. And that's vital for young people and for our future, because as automation, robotics, artificial intelligence replace jobs mm -hmm. as we have known them more and more yeah uh, we it's a crisis but it's also an opportunity to redefine what is and is not productive work mm. and so we can start thinking the the mothering whether it's done by a father diapering and feeding a baby or by a mother the nurturing the caring that is probably the most productive human work yeah but it goes all the way up. I mean, why don't we 
why do we invest so much in prisons? That's domination, isn't it? We punish. Absolutely. We control rather than using that investment for high-quality child care, for caregiver tax credits. These are the things I would want to see young people working on. Mm -hmm. uh, but one step at a time. I want young people to really understand these two models mm -hmm. and what then are the four cornerstones, the most powerful interventions mm -hmm. to change the system. Yeah. And we focused uh, already on one of them, which is gender socialization. Yeah. But childhood mm -hmm. is another one. Economics is another one. And the stories, the narratives, the language, mm. that's a fourth one. And I really invite young people uh, to um, not only read my books, and I know young people have a hard time reading books unless they're assigned and they <laughs> have to, but uh, these books have changed lives. Yeah. As you have oh, attested. Yeah, they have. They've changed so many lives, and certainly mine. Yeah. I'm so, so grateful for all of your wisdom and to have this time with you and to be able to bring your voice to this new generation because I think that, you know, the wisdom that you impart is exactly what what the world needs to hear right now more than ever. And I really hope that our listeners will just take this all in and then go and visit com and the partnership way no center for center partnership. for center for partnership.org right? that's right yeah. and I um, uh, also would like to uh, invite young people uh, I'm going to be posting uh, with together with you mm -hmm. some images showing the shift from the earlier partnership art to the domination art and it is fascinating I mean really uh, it's true one picture is worth a thousand words yeah. and we need to understand our real history mm -hmm. not the way that we're taught our history yeah. and there are signs that this is changing oh. it's always wonderful to be with you Brie I love you <laughs> I love you too <laughs> This is Brie Mathers from Love the Skin You're In, celebrating the voices of young women 13 through 30 who are using their genius to move beyond pretty and create a softer world. 